our doubts are traitors, and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. William Shakespeare, Measure for Measure. Welcome to A New Order of Things. I'm your host, Eddie Killian, and this is a weekly podcast where creating conversations and community around building winning individuals and organizations is our goal. Hello, all. This is part two of our series on risk, and I want to apologize. I caught a late winter, early spring cold last week, and my voice has yet to fully recover. So, you get stuck listening to the sultry sounds of my voice, uh, post-cold edition. So, uh, let's get started with this week's episode. In the previous episode, number nine, we talked about risk, and that was part one of this three-part series. And I want to return to the definitions that we set out with from when we kicked off that episode. So per the Cambridge Dictionary, our two key words for this topic are defined as such. By itself, risk is defined as willingness to do something, although there is a chance of a bad result. Risk-averse, on the other hand, is defined as being unwilling to take risks or wanting to avoid risks as much as possible. The subpart of that is averse, which is from derives from the 15th century, and it means to turn away in mind or feeling, disliking or unwilling. It's uh, the French, averse is hostile or antagonistic. And from the Latin, it is turned away or turned back. The past participle is to turn away or off away from. And in general, this is a word that is usually used in the mental sense. So, averse applies to feeling. Adverse, with a D, is generally applied to an action. In this episode, we'll be generally discussing risk aversion. Chances are quite high that you may be doing more harm than good to your organization if you're acting and creating a pro-risk-averse culture. Are you of the mindset that you are better off safe than sorry? The idea of risk is scary for many, and I hope that this three-part series we can define and discuss risk enough that you can recognize it and keep it in check. Remember, everything in life is risky. Here's a fun fact. It is safer to fly in a commercial airplane than to drive the same domestic trip in your car. Yeah, don't try and go overseas in your car. You have a much higher chance of injury or fatality per mile in a vehicle than a car. But the average person will see air travel as risky, dangerous, uh, or as just a scary mode of transportation. But per the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, there is an average of 1.27 fatalities per 100 million miles traveled. So it's generally believed that there's 100, 100 million cars on the road at any given moment here in the United States. And that means that if they're traveling at an average rate of 50 miles an hour, that you've, you know, you're covering a mile in minute and a half max. Uh, So every minute and a half you end up having here in the United States, you have an average of 1.27 fatalities. 
The National Transportation Safety Board, the NTSB, records show that the average fatalities per 100 million miles is zero and with only approximately five serious injuries when flying in an airplane, commercial aircraft. Uh, These injuries, these five, are usually seen by crew uh, because they're up and walking around when they hit some turbulence that they didn't expect or whatever, and that's where some of those injuries come from. Uh, But think about that. The average fatalities per 100 million miles flown is zero. Far safer to fly in an airplane than it is to drive your car down the highway for the same kinds of distances. Our rationality with risk isn't always so rational, is it, now that we know those numbers? Risk aversion itself can hurt your team, it can hurt yourself, it can hurt your career. Um, and here's five ways that it can do this. There's Number one is you, you can have bored employees. Um, it suppresses innovation. It creates stagnation. We've talked about that in previous episodes. It um, creates missed opportunities. If you're not willing to step out, you're going to miss some opportunities and missed perspectives. And we're going to go into all five of those here shortly. Um, think of the first time entrepreneur, you know, uh, who in early months of her new venture has found herself in a state of excitement, having started her own company, took a lot of risk to be able to start your own company, to go through those processes, to throw that money in there and, and to step forward and go, I'm going to do this. But immediately after getting started, she keeps pushing for, instead of pushing forward with the business to uh, keep that risk up, going out and dealing with customers or potential customers, uh, she finds herself designing logos, letterhead, furnishing the office, so on and so on. These are not money-making endeavors. So the bills begin to arrive and there was no revenue to pay for them. Now, she has that absolute fight or flight mode now. So she's full on panic. She's got to pay these bills. And she quickly, hopefully, transitions to calling potential clients, stepping up, taking that risk, and following up on leads and fighting to play catch up and being able to pay those bills. After accepting the risk of starting a business, she got comfortable in risk averseness. It's stressful. We really don't like risk as humans. It's not something that comes natural. So risk is uncertainty, both known and unknown. Known risk. Some risk can be calculated, meaning it's the kind of risk that you can control uh, and you can put effort into uh, the risk return outcome. The unknown is the some kinds of risks that cannot be controlled. And that's often actually called luck if it's in the right direction. Uh, We're going to talk more about luck in episode 13, by the way, coming up here shortly. Uh, This uncontrolled kind of uh, an unknown type of risk uh, can also be completely unforeseeable. Uh, It's not that it's out there and you don't have any way of dealing with it. It's the fact that you never saw it coming and smacking you in the face. Uh, And that is generally what Nicholas Nassim Taleb calls black swan events. And I want to be really careful with this to give you an idea of a black swan event. Um, Contrary to a lot of popular belief, COVID-19 and the fallout globally of, uh, from all of those uh, shutdowns and everything else is not a black swan event. Um, it, it wasn't. We've had pandemics in the past and not that far back. If you're paying attention, pandemics are a known event. They should be being planned for. And the, re- the repercussions of those 
events can be mitigated at that point. Just understand that a black swan is literally something you have no way of knowing is coming. It's just out of left field. So most risk is known. If it is known, then its effects can be planned for and mitigated. And I will say, probably going to be in a future episode, um, a black swan event can also be planned for and mitigated, even though you don't even know what it is. And we'll get into that at some other point. So the risk can actually be calculated. Um, Everything in risk is a risk return trade-off valuation. So uh, if it sounds too good to be true, I'd be willing to bet you it is. So those who manage bank and corporate risks are looking at risk defined as an unexpected and detrimental event. Uh, that could be a different idea than what you're working with within your business. But from that bank and, and, and financial standpoint, they say unexpected and detrimental. But as I've said above, if it's known, it can be mitigated, number one. Uh, and they believe this too. And the other piece is uh, risk might not always be detrimental. It can have a detrimental return or outcome, but it's not always detrimental. So when you're looking at it from the banking standpoint, they're looking at things a little bit differently uh, than what we'd be looking at in an average office, uh, startup, you know, those kinds of things. What you can do is you can actually calculate the value of a risk once you have it identified. So a corporate manager following using risk can actually calculate risk by multiplying the value of success. So, hey, if we're going to take this risk and it succeeds, what's that value? By the likelihood of success, we've got an 80% chance of making this work. And divide that by the cost of the project. What's it going to cost us to do this risk? So once you have that, now you know what the cost of risk might be. These calculations yield a risk-adjusted, right? Because you're adjusting that potential for the success uh, over the multiple of return. It's kind of cool to be able to do that. More simply, make it this simple, the higher the chance of the success, the lower the reward needs to be. But if the chance of success is low, then you want that reward to be much greater. So it's, you've got to get big odds on the low stuff. So risk aversion hurts your team, your organization. It's human nature. Like it or not, you are drawn into a risk-averse behavior. Uh, you have to fight to not do this. This is just how it's ingrained. And here's why. As we discussed briefly in part one of the risk, this risk series, one of the few psychological states that can be quantified is loss aversion. Loss aversion is quantified as people respond. This is the law right? This is the theorem and the law to loss aversion. People respond twice as strongly to potential loss as they do to the opportunity of an equivalent gain. Uh, let's think about that. Well, let's go back to our little flying uh, numbers there. So if you know someone who is afraid to fly because of how quote-unquote dangerous it is, we already know that it's more dangerous to jump in the car, um, that person is probably doing a very good job of ruining family vacations, wouldn't you think? So your family vacation for a person who is refusing to fly means that you're either never going to go very far from the house and see the really cool stuff, or you're going to take three days to go from Colorado to Florida, and you're only going to have a couple of days in the middle before you have to be back to work, and you have to drive three days back. Uh, and so what, what kind of 
uh, enjoyment are you going to get out of the beach and amusement parks when you've only got a day or two on the ground in Florida because the rest of your trip is all about driving? Great example, I thought. So those who, as we discussed in episode six, the Peter Principle, have hit a level of incompetence and due to their need to keep that status quo in place, will utilize loss aversion in spades, thus keeping it a risk to a minimum so that they can keep themselves from being found out. Rather than doing the hard things of either stepping out or stepping down or learning new skills to extend their viability, they, these folks will sandbag. They will make no decisions and in the process, severely harm an organization. When you have an organization of loss-averse savvy folks, they're keeping risk at a minimum. They're harming your organization, and we'll get into that shortly. Here's a great example. This is a true story. A big box retailer, regional store, had both their city water and their fire suppression main lines bust. Same exact time. Underground, front of the store. You can imagine the amount of water that is spewing out of the ground and under the main section of the sidewalk out front. This store now has no water to supply the bathrooms, the hair salon, the hot food deli, the bakery, or water the mass of plants in the nursery and numerous other things. And there's no ability for the fire sprinkler system to work at all. The store is dead in the water. The store manager starts calling and emailing all the pertinent folks at corporate on what to do and how to get the excavation and repair started and supported. After scores of emails and getting past the folks who were just outright ghosting her, she was able to finally get an answer. I won't make that decision. Talk to my supervisor. This occurred 20 times. Think about that. 20 people, all in this part of the organization that's supposed to be handling these things, are unwilling to make a decision to get this store back up and running. This store manager, 48 hours after the mainline blowout, was still with no water or a path to repair, gets to the senior VP of the department that's responsible for making these decisions. And that person sees the lineage of over 20, it's not my call, email responses. With all of those folks on an emergency conference call with the store manager, this senior VP immediately states, get her whatever she needs. We will figure this out and how to pay for it later. And then he angrily stated, all the rest of you that work for me, stay on the line. We're going to discuss this massive failure that each of you are a part of. All of your inactions are in this one email stream. You're not doing your jobs. You're not making the decisions that you were here and hired to make. And this is unacceptable. Think about that. A senior VP had a department of 20 plus folks who all felt it was better to pass the buck and harm the organization than to do their job. I'm going to read a few short paragraphs from a Harvard Business Review article from 2020. The link will be in the show show notes. Uh, Here we go. Risk aversion takes on a life of its own in an organization. It shows up in procrastinating on decisions, overwhelming rejection of new ideas, overthinking decisions, and decisions made by committee and ideas flattened by an avalanche of questions, some relevant and some not. The authors state that risk aversion is more uh, than acceptance the norm in American business. In theory, companies create value for stakeholders by making risky investments, the authors write. In current practice, however, executives and large corporations are reluctant to propose and advocate for risky projects. They squash new ideas in favor of marginal improvements, cost-cutting, and, quote, safe investments. Why? 
because corporate compensation packages tend to reward the safety rather than the risk. So managers take the safe route to protect their careers, the authors say. Managers might be safer with low-risk decisions, rather safe than sorry moves. However, put other factors at risk, ranging from employee happiness to revenue growth. When you've got that aversion, it limits your ability to grow, says Amy Sperling, founder and CEO of HR tech company Compt, based in Tampa, Florida. I'd like to mention that that was a Harvard Business Review article from 2020, and one of the uh, four authors on that was Daniel Kahneman. We talk about his book on a pretty regular basis, Thinking Fast and Slow. Risk aversion slows growth. Companies plateau when everything is working smoothly, but hasn't changed in a while. All business people who seek for company growth, not just entrepreneurs, have to live in the future. They have to hone the ability to see around corners and take risks to move forward to that future. If you don't, you end up in a situation where things really just won't move. If something's been working great and has been for years, that's status quo, by the way, then it's time to break it and fix it. If you have anybody in your organization that is saying something like, but we've always done it that way, you need to rethink their uh, position. Here's a great example. A company uh, that helps consumers, not businesses, with insurance issues being focused solely on that market for a year, they did not go forward with business-to-business sales and market. They were concerned that it was too competitive and they didn't have the best use of the organization's platform for those clientele. But the leaders decided to put some effort into learning more about that environment. And once they took those steps towards risk and understood how to attack that market, it basically melted away all the concept of failure and created a very pro-risk acceptance uh, along with some great revenue. Avoiding risks has resulted time and again in money being left on the table as well as money ill-spent. You are wasting your money if you're not looking positively towards risk moves. Risk averseness causes you to miss opportunities. Leaders who are too risk averse will not spend the capital or hire the people they need to grow. And I will tell you, if you wait too long to spend money or go after a new market or create a new product, you will miss the window of opportunity. Someone else is working in the same direction on the same idea that you are, and they will beat you there if you second guess yourself. Missed opportunities also include not hiring a great candidate or hiring only thinking on present growth, not about the future. Remember what I said in episode eight, bureaucracy, go check it out if you haven't already, you must hire slow and fire fast. Total cliche, I know. But if you are hiring just to fill a need today, oh man, we've got to hurry up and get somebody in here. It doesn't really matter who they are. They just have to be breathing and have a heart rate. You're failing. You need to be looking to your future. There are lots of places where not taking risks will harm your organization's growth. Be very interested if you go over to my website after listening to this podcast and comment uh, in the comment section about what kinds of things are you thinking about now after this pod- this series of podcasts about risk that affect your potential or potentially affect your organization and its growth. Risk averseness uh, causes you to miss perspectives. Uh, 
the United States military ended up creating a thing called red teaming. It's the way of looking critically and uh, very contrarian type in making decisions. Um, I've done this where we bring these types of processes together and create decision-making teams so that you get these good quality decision make, uh, decisions made. They're amazing. You've got to put one of these in your organization if you haven't already. But you're missing your perspectives. You're not looking at things from all the different directions. Sticking to a safe hire and avoiding new trains of thought means missing out on other perspective. I have an acquaintance who once belonged to a team that he described as very analytical. Uh, with everyone on the team thinking the same way. Think engineers. Uh, that made it very difficult for us to work, he says. Management would avoid bringing in people who thought differently. So they created a continuation of this very linear analytical thinking rather than bringing in creatives. And here we go. He says, you just can't do everything analytically. You need creativity as well. So you need a different perspective to bust the status quo. Risk aversion. It stifles innovation. If you're not looking at your perspectives, how are you looking to innovate or even seeing that there's a place where you can go to innovate? And if you're not failing, you're not trying, so many cliches, and innovation springs from effort. Putting effort into something, failing, keeping going, keeping moving, that is innovation. So if you're too risk averse, it's almost impossible to innovate. You won't even know you're supposed to. It stifles the whole concept of innovation and growth. If you're risk averse, you're going to be creating some really bored employees. Don't let workers get bored. You can set these incremental goals. You can go out and manage customer feedback and input and then bring that into your product and service and get those employees to work towards going to market in that way. You can create smaller goals that allow your company to see quickly what's going on and be able to work towards either improving that or going, you know what? Maybe that's not working the way we want it to. Let's rethink this and do something different. But it's these this effort of putting in the idea from the top down that we're willing to look at stuff, see how it works, and then either move forward with it, adapt it, or trash can it. And that creates unboard employees. These people will be very excited to keep moving forward and doing amazing things for your organization when they see that it's that kind of culture. A gentleman by the name of Mike Duchesne, who's the CPO at a company called Octane, in 2022 uh, was being interviewed. And he said, there's no option to avoid risk and have happy teams. Because if you avoid risk, you're avoiding opportunities for growth. And teams are never happy in an organization that is stagnant. Stagnation. I think we've talked about that recently. Jay Young founder of a company called Embark, and he agrees with him and says, risk is an exciting thing, especially for younger folks. He said, a company that does not take appropriate risk will find itself losing some of its most energetic and ambitious team members. Well, with that, I think we've discussed the basic parts of risk aversion. Join us next week as we will be returning to the ideas of risk in our part three of this series and diving deeper into these ideas and observations and how risk behaviors are pertinent within business and organizations today. Links to the resources are in the show notes and on the links page on my website, eddiekillian.com. Join me next Tuesday as we continue to travel the path of what is difficult, perilous, and uncertain as we explore introducing a new order of things. I'm your host, Eddie Killian, and this concludes episode 10. For exclusive content, notifications of each episode release, and sign up for my newsletter, head over to the website, eddiekillian.com. 
Click on the link in the show notes and join the conversation. Or contact me directly at interesting at eddiekillian.com. A new order of things is available to listen to completely free on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts and all the other places that you choose to find your podcasts. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave a quick review. Oh, and please share a new order of things with friends and coworkers. Make it a great day.